0: Welcome to One of Two Hundred, the New Zealand International Politics Podcast. We're coming to you live from a Level Four lockdown, um, split across two major cities in New Zealand. We've got Ross here, who is in Auckland, as am Good I, day. and we've got James, who's down in Sunny Wellington. Sunny?
1: No, no, Sunny, Sunny Wellington. It's great when the windows are closed. <laughs>
0: anyway, <laughs> kia ora. Hey, thanks so much, uh, both of you, for coming on to talk about what's been happening here with our latest round of COVID response from the Labour government. We, as, as a podcast, had a, a range of responses to this, uh, you know, from, from March to August, really, last year, as we had different levels of lockdown, different responses, uh, you know, both a health uh, response and economic response, which we've always liked to talk about as two separate beasts. Uh, I I think generally we have talked about and continue to say that the Labour government's health response and Ardern's communication has been fantastic. Um, Mm. Absolutely world beating. And I I don't think anyone can really argue with that at this point evidentially. Um, But the economic response is while it has positives, um, I have a lot more um, issues with it. Mm. Do you think that's that's a fair split? I think
2: the thing that that's really leaping out to me. Speaking of Jacinda Ardern and this, as I'm really mindful that this is what she sees as her as her legacy project. I like she's she's envisaging the 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 speaker's tour in 20 years and what a great job she did. And yeah, it's by by metrics of we haven't lost many people to COVID. It's a phenomenal metric, and that is important, but. It's interesting to see someone hanging their whole career off that to the detriment of everything else, and mm-hmm. I get the feeling you know she's very much from the Tony Blair school of politics. Like this is, this is what's going to make her name when all of the failures on poverty, healthcare, education, etc., are are forgotten, and it's it feels quite cynical to me.
0: I think just because you said you know the name, um, <laughs> <laughs> it does. Um you know, we do need to say that I don't think she's anything close to what Tony Blair is, who is a horrible devil, um, probably mm. one of the most evil people in the world. I don't think Ardern is that, but, <laughs> but certainly um, in regards to the the third wayism, um, mm. the um, way she presents in the media um, and, and the opportun- way she takes opportunities um, mm. to, to front foot in this manner. Um, I, I very much agree. And I think something we've been hearing said a lot is now if only should do this for X, Y, and Z, um, whether that's housing, whether it's a wider state of the health system, whether that's uh, our most vulnerable um, in the form of those who rely on social welfare, right?
2: Yeah. And I think it's, yeah. And it, it, that's where the the third way sort of opportunism really smacks for me is this is a government that has shown that it can pivot to, to making real change extremely quickly and change that has significant positive benefits. So when you see them sitting on their, on their hands for absolutely everything else and saying this just cannot be done because vibes, then it's just like, it's, yeah, you, it's, it's so disingenuous because you know it's bullshit. That's, it, that's what makes me so, so annoyed
0: about this. Man, the, these graphs on this piece—I uh, don't—I I knew the numbers were bad, um, but it's horrible. Tell us about the
2: graphs, Kyle.
0: I'll tell you about the graphs. We're going to cut this out. We're going to edit this out. Um, but in the US, they have had—they're still having—150,000 new cases a day. Yep. And near like uh, over half a million people have died yeah and you know a lot of this is just like this isn't counting excess deaths or whatever right
1: yeah that the i don't know if it's one that used in in that graph card but the uh, sorry in that article the the one which is like daily case rates in the us i tweeted this before they're nearly back up to where they were and it's like oh yeah, you know, after COVID, you know how the US and the UK have moved on and and they're past it while we're still stuck in lockdown. It's like, no, they've just accepted that, you know, the, the, the level of suffering they're willing to tolerate is they've just found that level and it's monstrously high.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. It's, it's real capitalism as a death cult stuff. Um, it's it's shock. No, it's not shocking to me. It's I'm, I'm British. Nothing, nothing shocks me about Britain anymore. Come on, um, but that just the 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 seeming willingness to to just accept the worst possible outcome, and not only accept but sort of revel in it. Like there's this sort of <clears> weird um, for a country that's obsessed with. World War II, for example, and fallen soldiers, et cetera, et cetera. Like the complete lack of any um, sort of public recognition of all the people who've died of COVID in the UK, that this this absolute just inability to um, pers- like to, to just accept what's happened, like to just it's it's
1: like
2: People. Yeah, the, it's, okay. it's
1: it, the, the kind of unreality of it, it and the, it is the, you know, the, the World War II, World War I um, reference is right, is because the only um, reference point that, you know, and it's a particularly British kind of problem is everyone's a troop now. The, the nurses are troops the the front frontline service workers are troops it's the the only frame we have for, for thinking about again just suffering on that scale but for just absolutely no reason for, for, for you know for nothing it's anyway yeah super super fun to, to think right
2: no, yeah I'm just gonna, I'm gonna pick up on that that um, what you were saying there James about about it the the whole troop idea. And I think you're absolutely right. And that it's this, um, there's been a real manufacture of consent abroad, that this is a war and casualties are therefore inevitable. And that you can clap, you know, all of that clap for our carers bullshit and the, the, the ferry doing donuts in the Thames for NHS workers, but also I'm mindful of something that I, I heard, um, Nate Bethay and um, Francis Horton talking about on Hell of a Way to Die podcast, which is all about yeah. um, left-wing sort of um, US veteran stuff. And they're saying about the concept of untrooping, which is where if you don't follow the, the sort of very right-wing rhetoric about being a veteran, you are sort of mm-hmm. untrooped. You're not considered to be worthy to, have to, to be considered a veteran. And I think we're starting to see that sort of rhetoric abroad as well around if you're an NHS worker who says, actually, like, this is carnage. And... We are not being supported, and you speak out against it, then then you are hammered in the press and also publicly, and it's it's frightening to see this um, attitude abroad of um, you must lay down your life so that you know people can keep their sandwich stores open, um, but don't you dare question like the the decisions made that get us here, and I I because New Zealand and I, I, I was tweeting about this tonight cannot help itself in mm-hmm. terms of like, we're just tall poppying ourselves out of this. And it, it would be hilarious if it wasn't so, so frightening as we'll start to see this happening here. We're already seeing this happening mm-hmm. here. And it's and how we arrest that before.
0: Yeah. And I think before someone
2: blinks and opens the borders or come, brings us out of lockdown too early.
0: I think mm-hmm. for the most part, we've done a, a pretty good job and, Like a piece I saw today, for example, um, Collins was being asked, what number of deaths is okay for you then? You know, Um, so there's an immediate pushback on this idea that once we reach X number of vaccinations, um, we just have to live with COVID. Okay, then what number of deaths are you okay to live with? And (laughs) it was really heartening to see, because I don't think we've seen that kind of rhetorical shift Uh, Mm. anywhere else at this point I want to go back to um you know we're we're making the New Zealand's response sound better and better um as it just as just happens when you um especially when you uh compare it to the UK Mm. I want to go back to um something that you said Ross about this Labour government being able to do transformative change being able to turn on a dime and, and make things happen um with reference to what happened in the uh select committee today, where the Minister of Social Development, Kamal uh, Cepuloni, was uh, answering questions from other MPs, and was asked by Ricardo Mendez March, uh, the Green MP, whether or not there was incoming extra social support for our most vulnerable. It really, like, just upfront question. Um, and she said, no um no we we can't do that it's not on the table um at this point i'm not she says something like um to keep it a bit um ambiguous uh by saying i can't like foreshadow anything that might happen um and then when asked about the winter energy payments uh which we famously did last year those have doubled um as, as a way of getting cash into people's hands quickly she said oh, it's nearly the end of winter. So the winter energy payment's nearly over. We had time to get that running last time and we don't have the time to do that now. And
2: <laughs> there it is.
0: And, and, and yeah. no, so it's exactly what you had said. Yeah, there it is. Last time they managed to get the wage subsidy, which is a, a, a massive, massive piece of work. I don't want to like say that that isn't. Um, and that was significant for many many families Mm. um they got that up and running within weeks and it worked and And it worked again
1: it's 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 these um examples that the government have given over the last 18 months where don't tell me it's too hard don't tell me you can't do this i know you can do this yeah we've seen it guys you're actually kind of good at this like um Absolute credit kind of goes out to the people who work at, at IRD or even MSD for, for the ability to execute on those programs. So it's it's not because you can't, it's because you don't want to. And I, I really think that the thing to unpick there, and if, if you're trying to come up with any um, kind of grounded left wing response to, to the, the economic side of um, the current government's performance in COVID. That's where you've got to start from is what is driving these decisions. It's the same with the, you know, a lot of the rhetoric around the oh Grant Robertson blew the $50 billion COVID budget on, you know, um I can't even remember what the examples were. Some but shit. it's,
0: it's like, yeah, some apparently. Just, you know,
1: just 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 whatever, you know, um moon pie. Um but it, it the mistake Labour made there was We've got the special pot of money that we can only use because it's an emergency. Not we have tremendous resources at our disposal as a country and an economy that we could, I don't know, use to feed kids, which is one of the things they spent the COVID money on. But we're choosing not to. So it's it's they're still trapped. They're they they're, they're trapped by their own logic, and their are the, the own constraints they they set for themselves, and it's very and, frustrating.
0: And this in an environment where. Of all the OECD countries, we have are the least in debt. We've taken the least out for our COVID response, um, and people are just like yelling at us, and including the World Bank, the IMF, to borrow more because for the last twelve to eighteen months, money has been essentially free hmm. uh, for this very purpose. And they're they're saying you borrow and spend, spend on infrastructure, yeah. spend on your health response ensure that your people have what they need. Uh, you know, and when the U.S. under Trump is able to give direct cash yeah. to people, why can't Jacinda Ardern?
2: Yeah, and it's... I, I don't even know where to start out. Eh? Like, it's, it, it's so... It, it's that real sort of... They've made up a guy in their head And they're frightened of making this and this like made-up person mad
0: that's treasury erasure ross (laughs) (laughs) it's just this real
2: like oh how will how will this play with some racist who is never going to vote for us anyway Mm. like how will this how will this this policy go down with
1: landlords you think who gives a fuck this is like landlords great example they're five percent of the population 90 of of parliament though yeah. yeah. None of them vote for you. And you know, yeah, this this, this kind of, you know, Waitakere man, um, uh, Ford Ranger driving person that they, they sort of have this this mental image of and it's like, n- no, you guys got 53% at the last election. A lot of those, you brought a lot of those people with you by in, you know, with respect to, to COVID and the immediate, um uh economic response like sensibly dis- deploying state power in a in a way that that helped people and improved their lives and did the things we have a government for but it's i i think they just refuse to believe they kind of they can't take the win yeah they they, they kind of they, they they refuse to believe it, it it's a more generalizable principle that oh no no, no outside the the emergency situation of of the COVID health and economic response. We could never, you know, um, deal with public housing supply and wait lists. We could never tell Waka Katahi to, to redirect their focus away from building another fucking motorway. Um, yeah. It's, it. yeah, they they've they, 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 yeah. it's,
2: it's real, better things aren't possible.
1: Politics. Exactly. Exactly.
2: It's, and it's again disappointed but not surprised to see a central left government just immediately collapse like a souffle coming out the oven to this um the best thing we can possibly imagine like the the, in our wildest fantasies the farthest we can go is that things are like they are now um that's that's all you're getting
0: (laughs) i hate Mm. that so much
2: and it's such dog shit it's the worst kind of capitalist realism and it's um i don't know how you shake people out of that it's this the the only like there's the money is there if, as you said the, the infrastructure is there like msd can pull a lever tomorrow and we can you know and we can take those landlords and we can turn them what upside sure down could shake like them till all the money comes out
0: get id to give a rebate right yeah like mm. there there's Damn, so many- in your account so many so levers that they can pull
2: So yeah. many levers And instead they're just Again they're just hitting this button Which is like well um, what, what if the imaginary voters Who would never vote for us anyway um, Don't vote for us So we'll just try not try to keep them happy Somehow Because cynically And they know this South Auckland will continue to vote Labour No matter what happens Like they, they know they've got they know they don't need to invest in those um, in those areas because, as far as they're concerned, they're safe. They're yeah. safe votes, so yeah. they're just going to keep chasing after, like say this this imaginary asshole.
1: Yeah. And this is the, the the thing is, you know, I my kind of running theory with um, Ardern in particular is that the kind of the model she wants to operate with is your kind of your Blair or your Pierre Trudeau um, center left. Uh, natural party of government that actually having the right-wing fracture in the way that it currently is between national and act and just getting to to cruise along um being kind of a a kind of the 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 kind of face of 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 neoliberal capitalism um is their their happy place and that's what they want to keep doing but the thing that got labor their majority wasn't that it was the one example in the last i don't know 60 years um, (laughs) of of um you know a kind of competent government response to a to a crisis i mean the only other example is christchurch after 2011 but like actually talk to anyone from christchurch about how that worked medium term um so it is it's it's either they the 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 best faith interpretation I can give it is that you know the likes of the senior labor leadership genuinely are good people and would like to solve these problems housing the environment transport child poverty but they they have such a dim cynical view of their voting base that they think that taking steps to towards doing that would lose them votes so they don't the other option is they don't want to do that what they kind of want is a dial turning you know maintain the status quo and we should improve society somewhat kind of <laughs> little <laughs> tweaks around the edges yeah. but you have to vote for us because the nasty gnats are the alternative and they're hashtag national not fit to govern um so it's it's passion. one of oh god so much um i don't want to do twitter review twitter discourse review about COVID, but it's it's maddening but in in terms of What actually matters which is what the government power actually think i I don't and it's probably a little bit of both um but again having such a powerful real world counter example that that doesn't have to be true that like guys there is an alternative um yeah is is
2: yeah it's it's such a in a way it's more disappointing like i think if covid hadn't happened and we'd had a couple of terms of it, an ardent led government where they just did fuck all, but they did it with a sad smile on their face. And, uh, you know, like, hashtag be kind. Like, that would, that would have sucked, but I would have accepted that. Again, Scottish, used to disappointment. But, like, to, to have seen, I think, for the first time in my life, a government response, as you said, to a crisis that was quick, that was compassionate. That saved thousands of lives. To see, like I, again, I'm, I'm thinking I cannot think of any other example here or abroad, like here or in the UK, where that has happened. I have can... seen effective government, and the fact that you've now have seen them do it once, and they're just like, well, that's all we got, guys. Mm. It, it makes it worse.
1: It, it does make it worse. The one thing that gives me hope coming out of it, though. To the extent that I try to be hopeful, is the the public can't unsee that. Like we can't. It's it's going to take a lot of consent manufacturing and the the memory ray from Men, uh, men in Black <laughs> to make us forget that. No, through collective action, we can actually achieve things because we've we've seen it. Um, the campaign to 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 start that memory wiping has sort of already begun, mm. um, but it's it's the yeah, a, a, a real, I think, at least on a small scale, cause cause for hope coming out of it. Um, although then, you know, the next big wave coming over the horizon that, that makes me incredibly be- black-pilled about this is, what, is this
0: it. Mean for it.
1: what does this mean for our response to climate change?
0: Yeah, no, I 100% said it. there it's there not encouraging. It's yeah, not encouraging. It, it isn't, and it's, it's part of why I'm so glad to have seen um, the Greens Um, finally stepping up and, like, pushing the government on a a couple of different fronts around their response this time around. Um, You had uh, Menendez March um, challenging Cepulownia, as I mentioned earlier, and then you've also had Klaus Schwabick um, trying to get uh, more more funds for students as well and really Mm -hmm. pushing um, Labour to to do something about it. Mm -hmm. Uh, And especially for something like climate change, we would think they, the Greens um, would be incredibly vocal. Those voices haven't been there for, mm. for either of those issues. And I think to some extent, the media and the public need an electoral voice saying those things as well. It mm. can't just be us on Twitter or, 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 a, or a podcast, <laughs> okay. or, you know, or, or like one in every 10 opinion pieces um, that, Lucky. yeah, that is not representative of the, the number of people who, as you said, have seen what this government can do and liked it. Mm. I was looking at some really interesting numbers around the approval ratings for the government response to COVID. And other than one which was at about a 47% um, when it first kicked off in March, uh, when we first went down to level four, it's been sitting mostly over seventy percent, often in the eighties to nineties. Mm. like that's more popular than the part, than the party is. That's more popular than Ardern has ever been, you know. And it's testament to the fact that people like the government to do government things. Yeah. And there needs to be a voice, like, with a platform, with a political platform, with an electoral platform, hammering that home Mm. so that there is a a need for the media to report on it and so that more people get to see that that's acceptable politically. Because at the moment they don't. They don't see that because Labour says, no, sorry, it's not acceptable.
1: Yeah, I found that the the polling you're talking about which i think the the spin-off ran it yeah it was fascinating to see because it's if you just read the the herald and um the the stuff opinion pages i'm not going to shit on their the journalists but the especially the opinion pages you would think that it was completely the reverse and that you know there's this absolute cry for freedom that new zealanders want that like um they wanna to return to normal and return to, to travel and, and take the, the um, approach that the United Kingdom has, where you can have your holidays to Greece again. Um, but it's, it's, it's exactly the reverse. I think the numbers were about 70% were, were roughly comfortable with the pace the government was going in terms of reopening. Um, uh, 20 odd percent thought they were reopening too fast. Mm. Um, and there was only 10% who were saying, no, 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 we need to, to um, hurry up and, and, and go further. Um which yeah, is absolutely not the impression you would get if you were focused on the the kinds of challenges that are being um put to the government by, you know, yes the opposition but also also the media, which is very frustrating because, you know, there absolutely are aspects of I mean the economic response and I maybe want to pick up on that again, Kyle, but the even the health response, there have been failures. That the, the government ones. is not is not perfect on this, and I think, you know, we ran up such a, a big score in the first half last year of this, you know, excellent, compassionate response that things things did slip. But the the kinds of criticism that that's abroad is why aren't we opening up faster? Why aren't we reducing restrictions? Which is just completely the coming from the the wrong direction in yeah. terms of. Where public sentiment centers. Essentially,
0: today. why aren't you killing people, right? Um, yeah. And why, especially, why aren't you killing your poor minorities? Um, and it's been really, really exacerbated by the fact that our other major political party, National, have almost entirely run bad faith attacks um, and attacks in the model of the Australian or UK or US press, uh, which is to try and claim we should be opening up faster. Uh, try and undermine it while also trying to say that they're supporting it, um, and not focusing on any of the governance factors or economic factors at all.
1: Yeah, and I I think that the, the thing you see in the fact that their polling is still so abysmal, thank you Jesus, um, <laughs> is people people can see the the just rank incoherence of their position. That on the one hand they're saying, well, the lockdown should be better, the lockdown should be harder, what you know why didn't the government do vaccines earlier or mask mandates sooner, while at the same time going completely the other way and saying, we need to be opening up, um, you know, we need to move past this. COVID's over everywhere else. It's people aren't thick, like, you know, the the voting public can see that. And it's why I think, um, Collins has just got absolutely no, well, part of the reason she's got absolutely no traction.
2: Yeah. I think, as you said, it's there is a huge gap where we need to have rigorous ongoing critique of, as you said, the economic response, the the healthcare response. Like there actually needs to be a robust um, opposition. Like you need that anyway. You, there needs to be some kind of, of ongoing holding the government to account, not but not just in that sort of four year old. I've asked, you know, you're doing this thing, so I'm going, I'm going, I'm going to demand that you do the opposite, which seems <laughs> to be like the entirety of Collins' milieu. Um, but it, but we're just not getting it. They're just sort of fighting on all these weird ass fronts, which means that the actual conversations that need to be had aren't being had. And again, <laughs> it plays into, it works fine for Labour, like as long as you've got, oh, yeah. as you know, you've got Judith Collins who, who. Her eyebrows are just getting higher and higher and higher on her head with every passing day. And um, as long as she and and an actor and like a battle to see who can make the least sense in any given day, Mm. there's there's no real. As I said, robust discussion around what Labour are, are not doing, which suits them fine.
1: Yeah, yeah of course it does. this is this is the thing is you've got national enact act fighting over the 30 percent of people who who object to the the government's COVID response um labor are very happy to to play for that 70 percent of people who are either broadly okay with it or, or think it should have gone further but in, in in terms of that that debate we need to be having i i was really encouraged to see the the kind of questions that um swarbrick and menendez marsh were raising because the greens are in a tough position here right they they can't out labor labor on the the public health response there's no And
0: they shouldn't try
1: oh, no they, sh- they shouldn't try because i think they very sensibly realize like this is the most popular government in living memory attacking them on the one thing they're strong on um makes no sense the problem is it's kind of the only thing anyone cares about right now it'd be interesting to see some of that like issues salience polling that we got in the lead up to the last election, but COVID's still number one. So I think it's really encouraging to them to see them finding those issues where labor are dropping the ball and are doing less than they, both less than they could do and less than people would want them to do the real challenge. And this is where I have got to keep my tinfoil hat off, but it's, (laughs) that does not get picked up by large swathes of the commercial media um, and fighting that, that challenge and getting that, that airtime for some of the you know, really good challenges they're making um, sucks.
0: See, I, I'd, I'd actually, I would half challenge that because I think that the media and a, a lot of reporters and journalists are getting hungry to see a substantial opposition uh, to Labour regardless of what that is. And when um, when it happened in the select committee today, there were two or three stories up uh, mm. about that, um, that front-footed Menendez March uh, within a few hours. You know, that, I, I think that is there. I think, I think people do want to see it. I, I think people mm. know that people want to see it, and I think the metrics are going to start showing that. And if the Greens continue that, and especially if they have a party-wide kind of approach to it, and we see the mm-hmm. co-leaders come out and start talking about it a bit but more instead of being tied to the ministerial roles, um, there is a lot of... There is a lot of journalists who are going to want to cover that um and who are going mm. to put those stories up they're um,
1: so desperate for some coherent opposition that they're making david seymour seem like he's, he's, he's incredible <laughs> right this is like we we are so starved for a conflict narrative yep. that david seymour seems like a a, a serious grown-up at the table and i know I, I i do take that point right that i i don't think there's in general, a deeply ingrained right-wing bias in the New Zealand media to the same extent that there is in the okay. American or British media. Because thankfully, Rupert Murdoch never decided to buy Fairfax or decided to sell Fairfax. Um, what they have a bias towards, is and it's, it's entirely sensible—they've got a job to do—is—is is conflict and controversy and and debate. <laughs> um, and so, to the extent that the Greens can find a coherent way to, to to play into that need um and also i think you the the multi party as well um as a, a group that you know they've taken a, a probably more restrictionist stance on some of the COVID uh, border options than the labor party have which i think is entirely justified given that it's it's you know the people they represent who are absolutely in the gun if we get mm-hmm. this wrong um yeah, there, there are points of controversy there that, um, you know, could get you play and, and get attention. Um, and after hopefully some point next year, um, if the vaccine rollout is successful and, you know, uh, you no longer have this kind of just singular focus amongst the, the population on, um, on the COVID response and how good of a job labor have done with it, some of that shine will come off and rather than just defaulting to the national party, um, you know, the, the, the Greens and the Maori party have a real opportunity to make, to make inroads there. Mm -hmm. And what worries me is that they'll muff that chance and you'll have God help us, Winston Peters coming back and grabbing. And, and,
0: and as we were going through that long period of um, not being in lockdown, you know, restriction-free, um, Post COVID times, Winston Peters in New Zealand first did start to tick back up, because <clears throat> even if people don't trust him, even if um, you know we know his history, people mm. want to trust him because they're desperate and because they need someone to be saying these things, and he's a populist. Yeah, you know, and populism doesn't necessarily mean it's bad.
1: You know, no, no. Um, and I but think he is. I- <laughs> Yeah, and I, I mean, I th- honestly, in, in terms of the kinds of voter base that that um, would be being appealed to, it's not a large overlap between potential Green voters and <laughs> um, potential New Zealand First voters. Um, but I think it, it, more than anything, I think that's just a sign of the, just abysmal state of the National Party, that the people who, for whatever reason, don't go near Axe, that <laughs> um, Winston's the only option yeah. left on the table. Yeah. Um, it's it's a it's a frightening day
2: when uh, Winston Peters is seen as the sensible choice. Well, like that. <laughs> that's where, that's where uh, we're yeah. at. I, yeah, I think it's, it's it's wild to see him back again. Like, I really, I don't, I don't know why I thought that would like he would go quietly into that good night. I shouldn't be that naive, but uh, yeah, like he's he's a very real. I don't want to say threat. What's the word? Problem, no. possibility, nuisance. Yeah, yeah. but it, I, yeah, and I just state of politics in this in this country never ceases to amaze me. It really does, and it's. I think you're right. It's, it's what does, what does the post COVID, landscape look like? And I guess an even bigger question is: Is there such a thing as a post COVID landscape?
1: Well, I mean, that's the the terrifying question, right? Is you see some of the the early results coming out of countries that got there vaccine rollouts executed more quickly than we did and you're already beginning to see you know i'm not an expert in this stuff but the the drop-offs in the infection of the effectiveness rates of of the vaccines and the increasing prevalence of vaccine resistant strains um we're kind of shackled to the rest of the world in terms of our response and it's you know another thing that's bubbled up recently through some oias is sort of the just falling stance that the New Zealand government took on the global vaccine equity and the, the cost oh, yeah. of people's vaccine right like how how do we get it into people's he- the, the no one's safe until we're all safe message that if you restrict access to preserve the, the profitability of, of Moderna and, and Pfizer you're just creating these miniature laboratories to to breed vaccine resistant strains Um, and that's
0: what delta essentially came out of exactly
1: exactly yeah
2: and i think it's you know the stakes have and certainly in my lifetime it doesn't feel like the stakes have ever been higher you know Mm. and it's certainly personally have felt a lot of anxiety about this because if this lockdown doesn't work or if we fuck it up, or if we open too early, we know what we know what the Delta variant does, and mm. it's not good. And it's mm. it's kids in ICU, and it's long COVID, and it's a gen, you know, like a generation disabled, and it's it, it's so real and such such high stakes, and it's frightening to see how people with some access to the levers of power, and I'm thinking ACT and I'm thinking national, et cetera, are not taking that seriously. And mm. they're not. Like, their arguments are no. not, deeply unserious. And it, we, we just can't, we just can't, can't do that. I, I work with families and young people, and, and you know quite a lot of them are immunocompromised or in situations where if, if, if they catch COVID, it's, the outlook is very bad for them. Mm. and the toll that that's taking on on mental health and well-being is is appalling and ongoing and it's yeah it's it's such a huge high stakes game we're playing and i i don't know how we're not taking this more seriously and i appreciate Mm. that level four lockdown is extremely serious but there's so many other aspects as you said like with the vaccine, with seeing what's happening in other countries where it's, this is not, this, this is not the time for fucking around.
1: Yeah. No. And yeah. it's, the, the, there's an aspect of, of victims of our own success there is that, you know, we, yes, you can, you can, you know, if you've got family overseas or, you know, you see seen overseas media, but it, it doesn't have the, the terrifying reality for us because of how well things comparatively have gone. In the in the last eighteen months, and it's it's very easy to forget that like, no, if we fuck this up, there's you know you can't unbreak you can't unring that bell, you can't unbreak that glass. Mm-hmm. If we, you know, if this lockdown doesn't work, um, there's there's very little coming back from that.
0: yep and and you know that that's what absolutely disgusts me about some of the comments coming out from you know Australia, the UK, the US, saying oh we've got Delta too too late now, best to live with mm-hmm. it. Yeah, fuck off. Um, Mm. You know, that no. no. You know, this is in the context of as well, New Zealand being uh, among the worst prepared OECD countries for this, that's been gone over a number of times now, some of the the lowest number of ICU beds. And alongside, and I think we can can come back quickly to the economic response, Um, James, as you're, you're mentioning before, because part of the failure has been an inability to fully resource the health system and get it back up and running um, to a level that's acceptable for if we actually did have, to have a full outbreak. I don't know why that hasn't happened. I don't know why they haven't just borrowed billions and just poured it in. And this is like kind of long-termism argument around, oh, when you sort out the DHBs first, et cetera. I mean, okay. But, you know, you can do two things at once, right? <laughs> you can go and make sure, like, these, these hospitals aren't fucking rotting. You can, mm. you can train up healthcare workers to be able to do, like, a bunch of the different roles um, around um, maybe not intubating, but picking up some of the other duties.
2: Right. And I think it's, it's, that as you said, it's that we know what could have been done because we've seen what they can do. Yeah. And it's between the last major lockdown and this one, and you think that was enough time, you know, they could have, you know, you, you create nurses courses become fees free, for yeah. example. And as you said, you get, you get people doing training, you get the work for, you know, you offer f- like free upskilling to registered nurses to become IC, like whatever hey, it takes. Tourism is
0: not coming back. I want to, I want to retrain. Yeah. Hey, no, yeah. being a nurse is free.
2: We can make that. Yeah. We can absolutely make that happen. You know there was an opportunity there to redesign a healthcare workforce because we should have known that this was going to happen. And I think it was it was inevitable. But I and I count myself in, in among this that I had sort of kind of lulled myself into a real false sense of security. I was I think like a I, lot think, of people I have. think we've got this yeah. this whipped and that's so fine on a personal level like that's just being a bit stupid and a bit optimistic. But mm. on a government level I kind of expect better. And I just think it again. It's it's surprising how this seemed to take so many people by surprise. So mm-hmm. oh, who could have thought that this extremely infectious variant could have got out? Given that mm-hmm. we opened a travel bubble with with Australia, and half of our um, managed isolation hotels are in the CBD. Like I walk past three of them on my way to work every
0: yeah. day. I like even when we were first podcasting about the the pandemic before it even hit New Zealand. I think or maybe just after, we were saying, this one, if we, if we take the right steps, we can get through it. It's the next one we're worried about.
1: Mm. This and, is going to keep happening.
0: Yeah, mm. and there's a whole bunch of stuff that we can do. I think it was one of the arguments that we were making with reasonable frequency around building um, MIQ facilities as opposed mm. to using hotels. right? And that's looking more and more like it, it will need to become a possibility. But yeah. none of these steps were taken, and when you go and ask, when the government is asked about them, say, "Oh, we can't, we can't do that." Okay, yeah, but you said that at the start, so at some point you have to begin doing this. Surely, can we yeah. begin doing it now, or, or this, do you want to put it off another eighteen months?
1: And this, this is the thing, right? Is I, to a certain extent, can can kind of forgive not not having that kind of foresight. I was kind of skeptical of the idea of special purpose. Miq facilities because I think it's it's one thing to to just say oh we should do that is there is a lot of logistics that underlie that but that was again August September last year when it as you said it, we all lulled ourselves into this sense of security of oh we've got this speech, it's okay um, but what what worries me is that and I've, I think I've said this before but we had for about six months in the early part of the pandemic senior leadership in government who were willing to learn from their mistakes and not publicly cop to them because in the end politicians (laughs) don't do that but at least you know concede the point of yeah actually our testing regime at the border wasn't adequate and because of the the criticism that they got from some very good reporting about that um they took steps to improve it and that that willingness to to you know kind of adapt and and respond was was incredible to see but that then got lost and i think it was that that once things became less urgent that fear of, of admitting you were wrong and changing tack kind of creeps back in yeah um but it's you know they need to keep being pushed on it and you know again this lockdown fucking sucks and i hate it um but the one the one silver lining that come i i see from it is that it it makes everything way realer again Mm -hmm. um and so maybe some of these things you will begin to see action on
0: what Uh, happened to
1: hope springs eternal
0: do you remember last year when the the line was build back better Mm. (laughs) (laughs) because it's it's become build back basically the same right Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you know, you're saying talking about in August, September, um, and maybe just post election, we would larded ourselves into this false sense of security. I, I'm happy to say, like as a as a nation or whatever, mm-hmm. um, it dep- regardless of people's individual feelings about that, um, and people were happy just to go back to the status quo uh, at, at a at a systems level. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, okay, cool, e- everything's just the same again. We we survived and everything has reverted to pre-COVID.
1: We, we survived and my house price went up 20%. What are you complaining about?
0: Yeah. Yeah, and that, yeah no, that's,
1: exactly. That's the problem, right, is there was that that circuit-breaking moment that's, I think, just absolutely been lost now where if different decisions had been taken by the likes of the, the finance minister, and I think he personally bears a lot of responsibility for this, for mm-hmm. not having the courage to... Um, Tell Treasury to go jump. Um, that you know you could have begun to sow the seeds of some some long term, you know, slow boring of hard boards change to, towards a, an economy that's that's not structured around, um, you know, cheap labor, expensive houses, um, and res, you know, resource yeah. extraction but we chose not to do that because inertia you know inertia is incredibly powerful and the shitty thing of it is is like for i don't know 55 60% of the population um things are pretty good for now for the the sort of yeah. immediate short term that people do. I their mean lives things are,
0: are maybe fantastic for for mm. a good chunk of that as well um it reminds me of another thing um, during select committee today uh, where the, I think one of the final things Menendez March asked was, can we at least bring forward the benefit rises, which you've already said you're going to do? Because remember, uh, Labour pull benefits up, but they split it over two dates. So one in um, this year and one next year. Uh, and Cipollone came back and said, no, we said that's going to happen on April 1st next year. That's when it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. But hey, you've already you've already made the decision that you're going to do you've, that.
1: You've, you've, you've already acknowledged that there's clearly a need for it. It's and it, it's it's public finance act madness of like oh, but you know we have to stay within these particularly pre limits. That's that's an ongoing commitment to an operating expense, so it has to be able to be funded out out of um, you know receipts. And it's like you're the government. You've got the biggest majority in MMP history. Change the rules.
2: Yeah. And I think <sighs> there's there's a real ongoing um misunderstanding of how economics works. And I am not an economist, I just want to like prefix that. But hey, I, as we said at I, the
0: beginning, it, it doesn't matter <laughs> if you are yeah. an expert or not, because it's still going to be better than half the time that's yeah. out there.
2: But it's it's even at that level. Like I know that the government and and countries are not the same as A household like it's not and i think there's so many like again monetary idiot here but i i kind of understand that and there just seems to be this narrative that we're fed that the government has to like has the equivalent of a mortgage and some credit cards and like has to make sure that the electricity bill gets paid at the end of the month which is a whole to talk about electricity bills and stuff in a minute but like this but it doesn't seem to be any desire to educate people that, that that's not the case.
1: No, and... no. Also not an economist, but kind of play one at work sometimes. <laughs> the, the, the household narrative is kind of that's the the outside story that kind of makes the, the, the underlying economic assumptions around, well, no, we need to keep public debt low, because if you expand the size of the state sector, so it's taking up more of the economy, um either in terms of of borrowing or um tax that reduces the size of the private sector and the private sector is where the the dynamism is and where the investment happens and where growth comes from Um, and it's you know that's actually a kind of contested position these days (laughs) in in economic theory we you know it's not 1995 anymore Um, and so yeah, the 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 kind of education of like, well, no, it's not about a particular number on a government uh, balance sheet. Which I, I, I'm not dismissing that the actually our state debt capacity is 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 completely irrelevant. Like, as a a small trading exposed country, if we get ourselves into a situation where the IMF are imposing structural adjustment, that's a real problem from a from any kind of left perspective. But like the obsessive focus on it and ignoring what actually matters which is like what can people in the country with the the labor and resources we have actually do actually produce actually focus on it's not focusing on that and readjusting where that's focused you know the example you raised before kyle of moving from the tourism sector to other areas of the care sector is a great example of that's the kind of structural change that we could have we chose not to
2: Mm. Yeah, and I sort of feel that there's this, um, there's there's like there's a, a sort of politics of appeasement that, again, going back to that, better things aren't possible. Sort of assumes that everyone's kind of happy-ish, or anybody, everybody who matters anyway. And it's with regards to the tour, I was thinking there of tourism. It's like I think we have to accept that New Zealand tourism is never going to look the same again, and there are going to be a lot of businesses and a lot of them are small businesses that are not going to survive this Mm. and there are going to be people who are going to have a very hard time Mm. and it's if the government was bold about that and could deliver that bad news but could soften it with say we are gonna again we're gonna squeeze the rich until the money pops out and we're gonna fully like we're going to UBI whatever it takes we're going to help you um with sustainable like we're going to see how we can diversify so that these communities can survive because let's face it Mm. you know west coast of the south island is in in a rough place right now Mm. um you know there's there's so many things that they could do but part of it is giving that bad news and I think one of the things we're seeing in politics now is there's this real fear about giving bad news Mm. And they'll do anything to avoid letting people down. So they'll mm. just let them sort of pass ag, disappear of their own accord. And it's, it's horrible to watch, but it's, it's, you, know, you actually need to be saying to people, look, this is not sustainable in its current form, but here's how we're going to help.
0: Yep. It yeah. would have been a, a, an amazing opportunity to dry, well, dry run um, some kind of just transition process, right? Which, which we know we're going to need for climate-reliant um, industries, uh, probably agriculture is, is the major one here in New Zealand. Yeah, so t- turns out yeah. it's pretty big for us. Yeah. Um, resource extraction is another. Mm-hmm. There was a, a real opportunity to say, okay, cool. Time to dry run um, doing Just Transition with the, all obvious tourism operators. What kind of framework can we put in place? We're not going to get it right first time, but it gives us some data. It gives us something.
1: Yeah, we're going to pilot some things. We're going to try some things. I think the the agriculture example is a, a great one, and the kind of the unwillingness to deliver bad news. Um, what we spoke about a, a month or so ago around the the um, cry of freedom um, agricultural protests. Um, that's the that's where the fear comes from. Is that yeah. no? That there, there are some people whose livelihoods are at stake here, and who are going to be you know financially crippled by this and it's it sucks it's not good like i don't think anyone's happy that there's a bunch of tourism operators in the west coast that are the that are, um you know n- not able to to um provide their own livelihood for their communities and the people that work for them but like that's happened that's real that's not going away um if we start properly pricing the carbon components of the airline fuels um, that's you know, <laughs> um, these things are real, shit's pretty bad, but we're gonna treat you like grown-ups and be honest about that. Mm-hmm. And here's a, a new direction we can we can shift things in. And yeah, things will be be different, and your car won't be as big and you can't have as many overseas holidays as you used to. But there's gonna be a lot of other different ways in which your lives and your community's life is better. But that, that vision's just not there from the Labour Party. Um, yeah. The Greens had flashes of it. Um, I wish they'd be louder about it. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah, it's just there's not enough of that that real transformative thinking. And I guess another example would be T.Y. Point. You know, we've got we've got electricity generation that could power the whole of the South Island. I'd have to check my working on that, but that was my understanding, was that Manapouri Dam could power could power the South Island and all of it goes to this one smelter, but we have to keep it going because jobs. And You think mm. that you're so close, like you're yeah. so close. And yet they just can't quite get it over the line. And, and yet you've got people in the South Island who are paying four or $500 a month to heat their homes mm. because this the market.
1: Exactly, there's so many other things we could do with that electricity, like there's demand for it now. We, you know, demand was very flat for a long time. Now it's increasing. Um, but yeah, uh, it's partly, you know, wanting to be seen to be preserving jobs and the there's a swing electorate, so you've got to keep them happy. Um, the other thing that doesn't get spoken about is, it's an incredibly good export earnings um, mm-hmm uh channel for for meridian which is of course still 51 percent government owned and what would happen to power prices if that demand wasn't there like you know economics does have some use in these situations um demand goes down supply stays static prices would decrease um so it you, you know the it's yeah the 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 unwillingness to to let it go and to realize that like look think big actually did some good things guys but it's 40 years on the economy has changed um it's it's tough and it, look it's easy for me to say that on a podcast i i, I get it that it's different if you're the minister and you're getting calls from all over the place saying I take you issue do with something that,
0: james i take issue with that it's incredibly difficult podcast. Oh, no, to to so and it's easy it's easy to be the minister
1: yeah 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 but it is again it's 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 God, just have the courage of your convictions guys. Like you can yeah. actually do this. You've, to come back to the point we made before, you've demonstrated that you, you can be good at this, um, but it's just an, yeah, that unwillingness to, to, to accept
0: that fact.
2: I think it's, it's yeah. And I, I guess part of it is COVID is extremely high stakes, but also it's not hugely complicated. Stay Stay at home. People understand that. Wear a mm. mask. Um, don't be a dick and sneeze on people. And like that, there's nobody is being disappointed. Like if we're talking mm. about a politics, disappointment, people aren't being disappointed with that. When it comes to some of the more transformational things, long-term landlords, mm. you're going to have to pay on yeah. your, on your earnings, maybe not have so many houses. That's going to make some people sad. It is. Um, and it's,
1: it's going to rob people of like the, the central dream of, of the New Zealand middle class, of the, the property ladder, of, of getting to the point where you've got passive income from, from six properties. Yeah. Like, yeah, the politics of disappointment, you are going to disappoint some people.
2: Yeah, but they can't. That's too hard. And it's uh, again going back, you know, it's come in full circles where we're talking about the UK and people have talked about one of Boris Johnson's many, many failings is that he's incapable of delivering bad news and will promise all kinds of complete horse shit, just make things up on the fly so that he does not have to deliver disappointing news. And I think we see similar here as well. There's a reluctance to be bold and to tell people what is actually happening. And it, it's to all our detriment because it just means that nothing happens. And again, better things aren't possible. Um, the only thing that we can do is have things the way it is, mm. um, maybe with a slightly bigger ute.
0: And you know what? I think that's a good place to end it. Um, <laughs> yeah. Hey, really, really great to have you both on today, folks. Oh,
1: great chat. Great chat. Yeah, no, it's a pleasure.
0: If people want to find uh, more of your takes, online. Where they can I find you, Ross? Uh,
2: I am on Twitter at, at that bike dad.
0: And how about you, James?
1: Uh, I am also on Twitter, if you'd prefer this in written form, at Rusty, IE, uh, 5555.
0: Easy. Uh, I, I would go and follow both of them. Uh, and I certainly already do. I have put my money where my mouth is.
1: <laughs> For all your piping hot tea. What was that
0: about money? i only mean it in terms of uh social media capital
2: your prezi your prezi cards in the post
0: (laughs) (laughs) hey thanks so much for listening everyone um it's been really great to chat uh, about the covid response um we do like to to try and offer um some direction as, as well as just shitting all over the government um which we also love to do if you've enjoyed this, uh, give it a share, uh, give it a retweet, or uh, send the link to some friends and family members. Thanks again for listening. We'll catch you next time.
2: Akitiano. And
1: anō. hot The relentless routines, the dying embers of your dreams, is the lie aspirational. Will you die keeping your glass half full? The relentless routines The dying embers of your dreams Is a lie aspirational? Will you die keeping your glass half full? You don't hate your nation You hate nationalism You don't hate your nation Hey nationalism No you don't hate Monday